Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. For over 50 years, Sailrite has been your authority in all things marine DIY. Do it yourself. What started as a mail-order correspondence course on sailmaking has grown into one of the largest online and catalog retailers for the marine industry. Sailrite stocks everything you need to sew for your boat. They are the only company that makes one design and custom sail kits. As a passionate group of DIYers, Sailrite's dedication to self-reliance at sea is proven in their products and services. Sailrite sells fabric, foam, supplies, and more including the legendary portable and powerful Ultrafeed sewing machine. So you can be self-reliant and save money by sewing your own projects, from biminis to dodgers, sacrificial sail covers and sail bags, to interior and exterior seating and cushions. Sailrite brings you the best brands in the industry for unmatched product quality and professional-looking DIY results. With over 50 years of bringing you quality products, unparalleled service, and support, and free how-to videos, Sailrite is a name you can trust. All right, I'm back with Phil Quark. This is our second part of the interview about Phil and his wife, Carol, and his friend, Richard Dobbin. Uh, sailing their boat, Southern Cross DQQ. And by the way, what does DQQ stand for? Well, that's our last names, Dobbin, Quirk, Quirk. Okay, okay. From Newport Beach, and in the last episode, we got as far down as the Bay of Islands in New Zealand, where you spent the season, that the, the uh, hurricane season, I guess, in the Bay of Islands. So talk to me about when you came back and continued your voyage from New Zealand. Where did you go? Yeah, well, um, we wanted to get back up for another season in the South Pacific, uh, specifically Fiji. So we, um, at, at that point, uh, Carol was back in California and really wasn't eager to make that like 11-day passage to Fiji. So uh, Rich and I were thinking about hiring some crew to help us. And this this young couple, young man and woman, were kind of walking down the dock looking at boats and and we happened to be on the deck, and they said with their bit of a French accent, are you looking for a crew? And we said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, we, we need people to sail with us. We are heading for Fiji. And they said, well, that's exactly where we want to go. So we talked to them a little bit, and they seemed very nice. They had just, just uh, been traveling around Southeast Asia, and I got to New Zealand and then wanted to go to Fiji. They were kind of outdoorsy uh, kids who liked to surf. And so uh, it turned out he was a, a carpenter back in France. And uh, she was, I think, a teacher. They both spoke excellent English. Uh, and they had just been on a um, – there's a organization in New Zealand – uh, where young people can work on farms uh, for free room and board. And they had been just spent a couple of weeks at this farm in the North Island uh, harvesting fruit and doing various jobs around this guy's uh, ranch. And uh, he had uh, taught them, uh, well, he had helped them learn how to cook some of the local food there. And so we met them. Uh, this couple introduced us and went out to the ranch and and met these people. And uh, turned out they uh, were willing to cook a bunch of provisions for us, put it in containers, and load up our fridge for the trip up to Fiji. So this worked out great. We uh, took them aboard and launched off for Fiji. Uh, took us about, I think, uh, exactly ten days. So, are you fighting? Are you fighting the weather? Is that a tight beat up there? What's what's the sail like going from New Zealand up to Fiji? Well, it's it's interesting because <clears throat> we we subscribe to this uh, 
weather service, or we, we listened to this guy called Bob McDavid. Uh, all, this, all the cruisers know this guy. Uh, and he does this pretty much for free, although you can pay him to route you. But he posts um, his analysis of the weather and little tips on you know, how to get from New Zealand to, to Fiji and various places in the South Pacific. And his advice was, was spot on. You know, he told us to wait till a low pressure system has just moved through, catch the tail end of it, and you'll have downwind sailing the whole way. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Hmm. Okay, caught the end of the uh, the low going north then, huh? All right. Yep. So Bob McDavid, so he's the router for the South Pacific then. Where is he headquartered? Yeah, he, he's the guru there. Um, I think he's in New Zealand. I think so. When I sailed across the Atlantic, there was a guy, Herb, Herb Hildebrand, and his call sign was Southbound 2, and that's exactly what he did for sailors sailing across the Atlantic to the, from the, you know, either way, from the U.S. To, to Europe or the Mediterranean or vice versa. And he did that as a free service before Internet, and everybody tuned into him morning and evening to see what he was going to say. And so it's good to know that there's somebody doing it for the South Pacific. I'm going to have to look him up. Does he have a website or anything that you know about? Uh, it, it's easy to find if you just put in Bob McDavid. Okay. Um, uh, Met Bob, they call him. Uh, he has an interesting sign-in when you go to his website. Uh, at the beginning, he says, um, weather is a mixture of pattern and chaos. This website is about the patterned world. It's kind of a disclaimer, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll have to look it up, but I'll put a link in the show notes if I can find it. So that would be great. Okay, so you waited for him. You caught a, the end of a, a low, caught a southerly blow from the the other side of the low, and you got it. Was it that long that you could ride it all the way up? Yeah, we rode it all the way up. I think uh, – with the last two or three days, the winds got very light, and I think we did have to motor a bit, but we had no problems with uh, rough seas or even squalls on that trip. It was, it was delightful. Hmm. Okay. So, Fiji. Let me find the Fiji Islands here. Okay. The other one you can head off to just to the uh, – so there's American Samoa. There's the oh, – where is it? There's Fiji, Suva. All right. Now, when I when I took a trip down to Australia years ago, I stopped in Fiji for a few days, rented a car, and drove around and uh, on the main island. And of course, what I do is I always go see marinas and look for, look for boats and talk to sailors. And as I recall, at that time, the bureaucracy in sailing the Fiji Islands was fairly difficult. Was that what you found? Uh, no, actually, no. um, I don't really call any great difficulty. Um, the, uh, we, what we did was we had been told that a nice place to go is called Vunda Point Marina, V-U-D-A, but it's pronounced Vunda with an N, V-U-D-A Point Marina. And it's, uh, not far from, uh, this larger, uh, kind of, a touristy port called Denaro. Denaro is kind of a, a resort area where the, the mega yachts go. And there's a lot of uh, like chain restaurants and things there. So we wanted to avoid that also because the um, the water there, the tide gets fairly shallow uh, for our keel. So we went to Vunda Point and that turned out to be a great, great place. Okay. I'm zooming in on it and see if that's the same marine I went to. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the one I vi- that's the one I went and visited. I wouldn't actually stop by that marina because they had a, a hard standing area, and I was told that if you wanted to go out to the, some of the other islands, that you had to get uh, a cruising permit the day you wanted to leave and go out to them. Does that change then since you were there then? It must have because I don't remember, remember any difficulty with that. We may have had to get. A permit, but it wasn't difficult, um, as I recall. There was it was not a big problem. They even had a, a little customs dock when you pull up there. They have a little welcoming group of employees that sing a welcoming song for you and give you a little fresh juice drink as you step ashore. It was pretty nice. 
<laughs> okay. All right. So you spent some time there. Uh, where did you sail? What islands did you visit while you were in Fiji? Do you recall any of them in specific? Because my experience uh, was, was right on the main island of Fiji. The wa- water wasn't that clear. It was pretty murky close to shore. And to get to the good water, you had to go out to some of the other outlying islands. That's true. That's true. And that's what we did. We we spent some time there at the marina and just exploring that main part of the island. But we headed out uh, fairly quickly to some of the outer islands. And we found the water and the conditions there to be beautiful and relatively uncrowded. I mean, many of the anchorages we were at, we were the only boat there. And this is during the, the main season. So I don't know if it was at the economy or what, but uh, it was gorgeous. The the most beautiful island we found was called Taveuni, T-A-V-E-U-N-I, Taveuni Island. Okay. So, so we, oh, okay, so that's actually headed, uh, okay, yeah, that's headed towards northeast from the main island then. Okay. Right, that's yeah. right. Okay, so... So how long did you spend sailing the Fiji Islands? Uh, what do, I think we spent about three weeks there. Okay. Uh, yeah. And um, did some scuba diving and uh, stayed at uh, these beautiful anchorages. Um, and that's where we first uh, tried the kava. There's this drink that they make. It's made from a root that they grow up in the mountains, and they grind it up and uh, filter it through like cheesecloth and make this this kind of a drink out of it that has kind of mildly intoxicating effects. And uh, the natives apparently use it regularly as far as you know, social occasions and that sort of thing. So we we met some people that introduced introduced us to that and tried it, but didn't have much effect. They told us that when people first try it, they really don't feel the intoxication all all they feel is the numb mouth it makes your mouth numb sort of like novocaine then huh a little bit yeah yeah but it was more of a social thing and and uh we'd sit around in a circle and drink out of the big kava bowl uh, (laughs) laugh and tell stories and of course play music so were there a lot of cruisers were you the main cruiser you said most of these anchorages are fairly empty were you quite often going to these social events with other cruisers or was the village just doing it, and you just happened to join in? Yeah, it was It was a combination of that. Uh, uh, a couple of the resorts we went to, there were people there that had flown in for the scuba diving, that sort of thing. And we, uh, we'd visit with them, and uh, the, lo- the locals would, would also uh, come and hang out with the guests at these small hotels and resorts. And it was very informal, and people were very nice. One of the the ladies kind of befriended my wife and uh, invited us to attend a church service there. And so one day we went to the local church and in the village, yeah, and sat down during one of their ceremonies. And they had these uh, these straw mats on the floor, no chairs, and we we sat on the straw mats. And there were little children and grandpas, and the whole village was at this service. It was very interesting. What was there? What what religion was it? It's Christian. Uh, I think it was. This happened to be. I think a Catholic. Wasn't okay. it Catholic? Protestant. Okay, it was Protestant. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So, I know when I read the book, I think Fatuhiva, he talked about uh, the the conflict amongst villagers in in some of these Polynesian islands between the religions, because some would join join one faith and another join another faith and they had a little bit of conflict religious conflict so i was just wondering if you saw any of that no no not at all um our impression was that people there in these islands are very peaceful and and welcoming and very warm friendly people even though that they don't always speak really good english a lot of them do the ones that work at hotels are fine but people out in the village um um, may not speak a lot of English, but you can, you know you can get by just like anywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So you spent pretty much about 
like quite a bit of time in the Fiji Islands. So, you, did you visit a lot of the different islands while you were there? Uh, not a lot of the different ones. You know, I, I can't recall. I think um, we sailed up to Tavayuni, enjoyed that a lot, and then just across the channel from there, I can't remember the name of the island, but uh, there was a um, uh, a bay there called um, I think it was called Av. Um, Avina Bay or Vinaka Bay. I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's right across the channel from Tavayuni Island. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting. There's a little school there. There was a village, small village, and a little boutique resort, very informal resort. That's where we met some of the locals and had kava. And and there was a school there. And every morning, uh, a motorboat would come loaded with kids from around different parts of the island and they'd just pull up to the beach and drop the kids off for school and then they'd come back in the afternoon pick them up in the motorboat back out to their their little village out there yeah it's called Vaina V-I-A-N-I Bay yeah it looks like a very well protected little bay there uh huh yeah yep okay all right so now, now, what's your next big destination after Fiji? Where are you going after this? <laughs> well, we wanted to get on towards Australia, you know, and so we the next stop most cruisers take is um, Vanuatu. Okay, it's I think almost directly west of Fiji. Um, I think it's about a three day sail over there. Is that still part of the Fiji Islands? No, I, I don't think so. I think it's its own separate. I'm not sure what their you know governmental situation is there, but it's a relatively uh, undeveloped group of islands. Okay. Yeah, and it's directly, like you say, it's directly east. About uh, let's see how many miles this is. It'd be west, I think. Yeah, excuse me, west. But, About 600 miles. Looks like 600, a little more than 600 miles in. Nautical That's miles. right. Yeah. Okay. So about and that was a, interesting. The six-day sail, four-day sail. Because they have an act. It was about a four-day, maybe four and a half-day sail. Um, very nice sail. Uh, no problems there. No, not even any squalls, as I recall. Um, and from a distance, you can see there's an active volcano, on I think on several of the islands, but the one we went to had an uh, active volcano smoking. And you can see it from the distance. And we had heard that you can actually take a tour up to the rim of this volcano. So once we got anchored in this in the little harbor there, we had talked to some of the locals and they said, yeah, you know, uh, pay us whatever. It wasn't very much. And we got in a truck with some other cruisers and they took us up to the the rim of this active volcano. And this was, I mean, there were no guardrails or warning signs or anything. This was just out in the middle of these mountains and you walk up this trail and you're right on the edge looking down into this boiling magma with uh you know cinder blocks shooting up out of it and ash all around falling it was it was really quite beautiful but kind of scary it's called ambrium volcano a-m-b-r-y-m volcano and, That's it. Yep, and I'm, it shows a picture on Google Earth of it. You describe exactly as you described. You're looking down in this molten mass of of uh, lava down there, and it looks. What's the name of this island? Let's see if I can see the name of this island. No, it's not showing the name on this island. Um, anyway, um, and it doesn't look like there's very many. Anch- Port Vato. Is that where you anchored? Uh, no, it had a, like an English name. I forget. Was it McDougal Harbor or, uh, okay. I can't, I can't remember exactly what the name of it was, but it was. Yeah. It looks like it's not, yeah, it looks like it's pretty sketchy on anchoring around here. So, okay. <laughs> well, no, this one we anchored at was a pretty big bay. Ah, okay. Uh, and it was a nice anchorage. There was a hot springs that went right down to the water and the locals would uh you know do their laundry and hang out uh on this hot water that was flowing down into the bay Ooh. i guess from volcanic all right 
Okay, so that that would have been fun. I'm wondering if this is if this is the uh, the island because it doesn't look like there's well there is a a, a little bit of doesn't show a trail up to the top of this, but there must have been some <laughs> some small trails to get up to the top of this volcano because that's right in the middle of the island. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, that's right. Okay. From there, what else did you do? Well, we um, I think we went to one other small island in that chain. Uh, we had heard that there was... Um, a harbor where there are manta rays. We wanted to, to see some big manta rays. Uh, uh, turned out that they weren't, we, we couldn't really find them there at that time, but um, we did uh, walk ashore to this small village uh, where they had this beautiful garden uh, where they grew all their, you know, their fruits and vegetables. And uh, we met this guy there with, and, and he's, we talked to him. He spoke pretty good English. And he said, yeah, my name's David. I'm the chief of this village. Hmm. This is Chief David. He was maybe like a 50-year-old guy, very, very nice uh, man sitting out there tending his garden. And we told him we'd you know, kind of like to see some of the sites around there if there's anything interesting. And he said, yeah, come with me. I'll show you where my ancestors are buried. We go, Okay. So he said, we're getting the dinghy, and we have to go around this point. So we got in the dinghy and took him around to this little beach. And he goes, okay, come with me, climb up this this cliff face. Okay. And he showed us where the trail was. With There was, you know, roots to hang on to. It wasn't that, that difficult, really. And we got up to this cave that was into the side of the hill. And sure enough, there were human bones and skulls sitting around inside this cave. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, this is my grandfather, this is my auntie, this is my other auntie. You know, he's telling us all history of his, you know, his ancestors, whose bones were just sitting there in the cave. Wow, that's unusual, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Go have a conversation with your ancestors. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's fun. Now, did you did you make it to Australia then, or did you stop by New... Okay, from Vanuatu, where did you head? Did you go to New Caledonia? Yeah, then we headed across to New Caledonia. Okay. Um, uh, the big city there is called Noumea. Yeah, it's a very French uh, city, um, great food, um, and a nice, nice marina there that we stayed at. Um, we didn't really do much exploring around there. We wanted to get on towards Australia. The season was, you know, moving along. So the only place we went there, we explored a place called Ile de Pines, Isle of Pines, P-I-N-E-S. They call it Ile de Pines. And that's uh, where a lot of cruisers go. It's got a very nice, sandy, safe anchorage there and a couple of resorts ashore and Nice, warm, clear water. So that's where I sighted my first mermaid. Your first mermaid, huh? Yeah. I've been on the lookout for mermaids. <clears throat> and I was sitting on the boat one morning, and this I saw this splash in the water nearby. <clears throat> and this tail, just like a perfect mermaid tail, poked up out of the water. And I yelled at Rich, Rich, there's a mermaid. Well, it turned out it was a dugong. They have these animals that live in the shallow bays called dugongs. They're kind of like, almost like a manatee-type mm -hmm. creature. But their tails look just like, you know, the classical mermaid tail. Okay. So it's said that this, uh, these creatures have given um, the rise to the mythology of mermaids. Yeah, they do look just like the manatees, and it looks like the... They got the whiskers and everything, just like manatees. I just pulled up an image of one. Okay. Huh. Yeah, they do have perfect uh, mermaid tails. Yeah. Okay. So that must be fairly shallow where you're at, because I think they live in fairly shallow water. That's right. It was fairly shallow, and I think there was some grass, sea grass in the bottom. I think that's what they like. So that was interesting. Hmm. 
Okay. So from New Caledonia, was the next stop Australia then? Yeah, we left New Cal and sailed straight to um, Bundaberg. Bundaberg. Okay, that's not a town I'm familiar with. L-U-N-D? Uh, with a B, as in boy. Uh, Bundaberg. They make a type of uh, ginger ale there. Um, you'll see it in the stores, even here in the States. That's the first time we'd had it. That's delicious. Uh, there it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's in Queens, Queensland, is it? Yeah. I think so, yeah. I think so. It's sort of halfway between Brisbane and, and Cairns, sort of along that western or eastern coast there. Yeah, it looks like there's a river that goes up into the town. Is that where you did you could take the river up then? Well, it's, uh, the marina is right at the mouth of that river, so you don't really have oh, okay. to go up very far. Okay. So, oh, yeah, there's a, there's a marina right there at the mouth. Okay. So now, what are you going to be doing in Australia? Well, music, of course. So we, uh, did, you have we a, found uh, some did you have a gig booked already? Yeah, we had uh, the Cruiser's Welcome Party. This was part of a rally that we had joined... I think we joined them in Fiji. Uh, I forget what they called it. I think uh, down, the Down Under Rally, something like that, uh, to help us get acclimated to Australia. Australia has some interesting entry procedures. Um, you have to notify them, I think, at least 24 hours, might be 48 hours ahead of time with all your boat information, your crew information, your time of arrival, and uh, the documentation and everything has to be sent via email uh, before they'll let you, you know, come into the country. So, so you they told us all this. So unless you have communications, you can't visit the country? Unless you have cell well, phones and all this other stuff? That's right. Unless you, you know, if it's an emergency, of course, you can. But uh, to set it up ahead of time, you have to either email from some port where you have Internet or uh if you have it at sea, like we do, we send it all via our sat phone. Uh, talk about bureaucracy, huh? Yep. Okay. Yep. And that wasn't all. Once we got there, um, before they would let us ashore, we had to have a, a timber inspection, they called it. And it turns out they're worried about uh, these bugs coming in, a type, type of um, pest uh, that can be bad for the local vegetation so every boat has to have these you know certified inspectors come aboard and i mean they they go through everything every cabinet every locker under the floorboards you know with their flashlights looking for uh, evidence of these bugs luckily we'd heard about uh, from a, a, a boater that had just had the inspection the day before told us <clears throat> that they had found one dead ant underneath a winch cover or something. And so he couldn't go ashore until they had sent this to their lab and found out what it was and then gave, came back and gave him permission, which was three or four days later. So because we talked to this guy, he said, okay, we better go through the whole boat. So we went through every locker, cleaned it out, you know, vacuumed as much as we possibly could. And, and it turned out it's a good thing we did because – uh, you know, we found some dead ants, you know, not a lot, but there's always a few bugs around. Mm -hmm. And we, and luckily, we, it was a good chance to go through all our lockers since we hadn't really done that since we'd started out on this trip. And a lot of the, you know, food was expired. And, you know, so we, we did a real thorough house cleaning and they gave us certification. So were you tied up at the dock when you were doing this then? Yeah, tied up in the marina. Okay. So once you arrived at the marina, the, you have to stay on the boat, or was it la uh, fairly relaxed? Did you have to wait for them to come down to the boat before you were allowed to get off the boat then? Oh, they allowed us to go ashore to use the facilities and buy provisions right at the marina there, but we couldn't leave the immediate area of the marina. Okay. And that's a port of entry then? That specific town is a port of entry then, correct? That's right. That's right. And they... Uh, this rally that we joined, again, one of the benefits of joining these rallies is they, they uh, smooth the way with customs. They tell 
the customs people, this group is coming in. And so they have everyone waiting and available to get us taken care of as quickly as possible. And that worked out real good. Okay. Well, the marina looks like it's sort of out in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't look like it's a very interesting town right where that marina is. That's true. It's It really is kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And it, uh, it was a beautiful marina, nice people and everything. But it was quite a, uh, a drive. I think we did end up, well, there was a, a bus system that would take you into the, the nearby larger town for, you know, provisions and that sort of thing. But, yeah, the marina itself is, is pretty isolated. Yeah, okay. So is that your home base for exploring Australia, or did you sail anywhere else in Australia then? Well, what happened then was uh, Carol and I we wanted to go back to California, uh, and Rich was fine there in the on the boat, Bundaberg, and uh, he decided once we were gone, he'd been there for a while, he decided he wanted to take the boat down to um, to Sydney. So he talked to some local guys that gave him, uh, you know, the advice how to, you know, watch the weather and where the anchorages were along the way and little idiosyncrasies of getting through some of these um, channels and things. Turns out there's there's a number of, they call them bars, sandbars, that can be troublesome at low tide. Uh, so you have to watch the tides and pass over these bars at the right time. So he did that and got all the way down to Sydney, uh, which which he really enjoyed because there was a jazz club there and uh, lots of musicians, and Sydney's a great town. And Carol and I decided we wanted to, one of the things we'd heard about that was spectacular was New Year's Eve in Sydney Harbor. So we flew back there just before New Year's Eve and met up with Rich on the boat, and um, explored Sydney a little bit. Had a great time there. We met a, there was a little cafe right on the on the harbor there next to where our boat was tied up and sort of befriended the owner there who's a very nice lady who knew a lot of the locals and uh, we told her we, we wanted to experience, you know, the fireworks and New Year's Eve and we were thinking about going out on one of these party boats and she said, oh, no, 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 no. Come to my cafe here. It's a fixed price you just pay, and it's all the champagne you can drink and hors d'oeuvres. And you just walk out to the end of the jetty or the end of the dock here, and you can see all the fireworks all over the harbor. So that's what we did. It was it was great. It was wonderful. Okay. Did you uh, did you do some land based travel while you were in Australia? Yeah, yeah. Then we. Uh, Carol and I rented a car. Well, let's see. Is that when we flew? I think we flew t- first to Adelaide, which is over on uh, the um, western coast, southwestern coast. Mm-hmm. So we'd heard Adelaide's a nice town, and we spent a few days there and then rented a car and drove down. Um, we had heard that there was this, uh, these cottages you can rent sort of up in the hills of southern Australia where – uh, the kangaroos just kind of run wild out there, and and you, you know they come very close, and you can really get a interesting experience at these these cottages. Um, I can't remember the name of them now, um, but we rented this this cabin, and sure enough, in the evening the kangaroos would come around, and there was a little garden there that they would hang out in, and uh, there was a little joey or a couple of moms with joeys that were. Are very cute. We we enjoyed that. Hmm. Okay, so you spent some time. I I see some at your blog. You've got some some photographs of your time in Australia. Um, so, did you get over to the west coast at all? Did you go over to Perth or any of that area? No, no, we didn't didn't have time to do that. Although later on, after Carol and I left, Rich took the train there's this train that goes through central australia it's kind of a luxury train with you know first class and dining car and all that and it's i think a two or three day train trip up to um, alice springs and Ayers rock uh so he did that and really enjoyed that quite a bit okay so so richard is pretty much living on the boat full time he's not taking any time off on the boat is he 
No, he's he's full time on the boat. Does he even have a home? Uh, he does. He has a home in Newport Beach that he uh, leases out. Okay. Yeah, because because what I'm hearing is you guys go back and forth a bit, but he never does. Yeah, he's you know he's a single guy. He doesn't really have any kids or you know family or anything per se to uh, you know to go back to, and so he um, and his dream had always been to live on on a boat. So he's living his dream. Okay, well that's good. You said he was a physician as well. What what type of physician was he? He was a neurologist. Okay, and you were an ophthalmologist, you told me yesterday then. That's right. That's okay. right. So from Australia, did you go up through the north end of Australia by New Guinea? Did you go visit New Guinea at all? Well, there, uh, at that point, we knew we wanted to go through Indonesia to get eventually get over to, um, to uh, oh, yeah, um, I forgot to say we did visit Tasmania when we were in Australia, and that was a beautiful spot. Did you take the there boat too. down there or did you just fly down there? No, we flew down there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That that uh, that's that's a rough race they have. The Sydney to Hobart race is one of the toughest races in the world. So I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. So we yeah, we wanted to get on through Indonesia, we, you know, on our round the world trip. So uh the best time to go through Indonesia it turns out is starting in about July. So we got up to um, – Rich actually uh, found a crew to help him sail the boat from Sydney up to Cairns, uh, which is right by the Great Barrier Reef up in sort of northeastern Australia. Mm-hmm. And we met him there, I think, first part of July and sailed – we all sailed up to Thursday Island, which is the starting point of this rally we joined, the Indonesia – it's called the – uh, wonderful sail to Indonesia, something like that. They, the rally, and there were about maybe twenty boats all gathered there at, at Thursday Island, which is right at the tip. If you look at the map of Australia, there's <clears throat> in the very northeastern corner. There's kind of a a long pointed peninsula that sticks up mm-hmm. into. Yep, I see. There's a York the island right at the there. tip of that. There's a York Island there. There's a Adolphus Island there. What did you say it's called? They call it Thursday Island. Thursday Island. Um, there it is. Thursday Island. It's also called Wayben, W-A-I-B-E-N, Thursday Island. That, yep. okay. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that was the starting point for the rally. And we, we gathered there and, again, had uh, some parties where we played music. And it was very fun to meet some of the these cruisers, um, and uh, we took off from there up through Indonesia. Okay, so you're going with a with a rally then again. So that's making it easy to deal with customs. How how many people are in the rally, and how hard is it to uh, to stay together, or do you even try to stay together? Well, we don't really try to stay together, but uh, what happens is you end up meeting a few people who all are planning to depart on a certain day. Uh, but there's no formal, you know, um, group that all tries to sail together, but you end up, you know, seeing a few of the boats as you go along and hearing them on the radio and that sort of thing. Now, the key with the rally is that they, they make it easy to clear customs. When we got into our first stop was, uh, in the K islands, K E I islands. Um, and that's kind of in, uh, sort of uh, southwest of Papua New Guinea, um, on the way towards. Um, well, let's see. I can't remember my. Yeah, I'm zooming exactly. in on it. Yeah, I've just zoomed in on it here. K A I Islands, and did you go to Tulao City? Is that where you you went into then? No, that's where they used to go, but they they uh, had us go to a new place called Debut. D E B U T which the organizers of the rally had, had uh, you know, designated as a place that we could um, all fit in and uh, the customs people were ready for us. And that was the easiest customs clearance I think we had the whole time. They came right to the boat on their little launch and, you know, 
you know, we signed a few papers, paid a small fee, and boom, they're on to the next boat. It took 15 minutes to clear in. Okay. So now you can sail. Now, is it easy? Now from there, can you just pretty much go to any of the Indonesian islands you want to at that point in time? That's right. Once you're, once you're cleared in, you can go to any of the islands. You don't have to worry about any, uh, any clearing in or customs until uh, you leave. Okay. So were you now at this point in time, is that where the rally ended and then you just went individually at that point in time or did the rally continue on? The rally continued on. They had a whole uh, series of events that were set up ahead of time, uh, local festivals uh, that and different places, different islands throughout Indonesia that many of the, of the rally people followed along that route and sort of banded together to participate in these events, but we uh, had a little problem. Well, first, we left um, the K Islands and went to an island called Banda, uh, which is in the, they call it the Spice Island. Um, it's <clears throat> one of the places that the Dutch, back in the day, uh, raised a lot of their nutmeg on this island. And nutmeg was a very valuable commodity at that time. Um so much so that the Dutch uh, built a big fort to protect their interests there and would take shiploads of nutmeg back to Europe where it was reportedly sold for more than its weight of gold because it was thought to prevent the plague. Hmm. Well, you're right at the equator there. You're basically about... uh... 20 minutes north of the equator on Banda. Banda Ray, I think, is what it's called. Yeah, if that's the one I'm looking at. Yeah, so you are right (laughs) in the hot and humid weather right there, aren't you? Yep. Yep. Do you have air air conditioning on your boat? We do, but, um, you know, we really didn't use it. uh, As long as we were in an anchorage where there was some breeze blowing, uh, it really wasn't a problem. We got we had fans down below, and um, it wasn't an oppressive type of heat where we needed to use the air conditioning. Most of the time, we just uh, used fans and relied on the breeze. But there was a problem there. It, we did get a, a hot spell. Uh, one time, uh, we were Rich was on the boat, uh, and Carol and I were. I don't know, touring around, walking around the town or having dinner or something. And <clears throat> Rich had been out on the deck in the middle of the day, you know, working or trying to fix something or, and uh, apparently must have stressed himself. He, he went down below and realized uh, after he laid down a bit that he had slurred speech and couldn't move his right arm. Ooh, stroke. Now, he's a neurologist. Yeah, so he recognized yeah. the symptoms then, huh? Yeah. Okay. And so he just, he laid down and thought, it was, well, maybe it's just a transient attack that would clear up, but no, it didn't. And Carol and I, when we got back to the boat, we went down below and said, hey, Rich, how you doing? And he came out of his cabin and he says, uh, I got some bad news. I think I've had a small stroke. What? And yeah, he had he had had a small stroke. He was you know he, he never lost consciousness. He you know he seemed fine and everything, but he had slurred speech and and you no know, weakness of the right side. So he said, Rich, we need to get you some medical care. But locally, the, the island. Luckily, the uh, one of the hotel owners on the island who knew everybody, who was connected with people that fl- flew his guests in and things. Uh, we went to the local medical clinic there and and got some treatment for the turned out Rich's blood pressure was too high. So they gave him some treatment for that. And the hotel guy got us on an airplane and flew out to uh, one of the bigger cities there in Indonesia and got him into a nice big western style hospital and he was he was fine. Yeah. Well, I talked to you about my friend Bud Elam and uh, Bud Bud me and Jack Mahoney, we were sailing from Ventura, California with uh, a couple other people, uh, an older man and his two, his son and his grandson. And while we were on, well, it's an island just uh, just west of Ventura. Anyway, one of those Channel Islands there. We were anchored there, and his 
father, the older man on the boat, uh, suddenly had exactly those same symptoms. And uh, it turns out we had a 50-50 chance. Bud said, oh, we need to give him some aspirin immediately. And uh, so he did. And as it turned out, that could have done more harm than good, but it actually turned out to be good for the type of stroke he had. I guess there's a couple different strokes. And uh, so we got him back to the hospital in Ventura, and he's, he's doing fine to this day, and this was at least 10 years ago. So we've had, I've had that experience with somebody else on a boat, on somebody else's boat as well. We, uh, we have to be careful that our aging cruisers, you know, medical problems can occur. So, so he recovered with no side effects then? Yeah, he, well, he, no side effects except some slight weakness of his uh, right hand, which he uses to uh, do finger picking on the guitar. Oh. So he's been working over the next, over the since then, he's been working on his finger picking, and he says it's it's pretty much back to to normal now, no residual deficit at all. Okay, good, good. So with you at that, that point in time, you is just the you too. You and your wife, Carol, did, right? Yeah, that's what happened. Rich was in the hospital, so Carol and I uh, had to get back to the boat, which was on Banda. Uh, it turns out there's no direct flights to Banda. Uh, we had to fly to Ambon, which is the, the nearest large city, and we tried to get a small... There are some small private flights occasionally that fly back and forth, but they were all full. We couldn't get on so one of the hotel owners there told us well just take the ferry and i said oh there's a ferry he goes yeah it's it's 10 hours uh not a big problem uh you can oh, get some tickets here and and so that's what we did we went and got our tickets the boat all the tickets were sold out but they had of course some reserve just for uh you know tourists like us that needed to get somewhere so we got on a sold-out ferry going from Ambon to Banda. Okay. And that was an interesting experience in itself. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go into detail, but uh, I'll just say I wouldn't do it again. It was uh, so crowded. There was no space on the floor or to sit anywhere. Some nice person uh, gave up his uh, like little berth that we could sit on, um, but it was not a pleasant trip. Let's put it that way. <laughs> One of those memories that you don't want to repeat then, huh? Exactly, exactly. Okay. But we made it back to Banda, and we we ended up sailing from there uh, straight over to um, to Bali. Okay, so where's Bali from there? Okay. South uh, west. Okay, there it is, yeah. Yeah, my daughter got uh, had an experience in Bali that I think I've talked about on the podcast before. But she went down there about two years ago. Was it two years ago? About two years ago uh, for a friend's wedding. And she was out playing in the surf and a surfboard came by and hit her in her orbital socket in her eye and broke the orbital socket in her eye. And she turns out that this is a pretty common injury out there. And they had some very good surgeons in the area or at the local hospital there. And uh, she could not fly. There was no way to get her any, anywhere else. We couldn't have got her to Australia. We couldn't do anything. So we had to rely on the local hospital. And it turns out that uh, the facial masculine, what's the surgeon, did an absolutely fantastic job. We had to wire in some money to pay for it uh, because they wanted the money ahead of time. And it was around $16,000. Um, she got subsequently reimbursed from her insurance company, but they had to be paid up front uh, and did a fantastic job in that surgery in the States. Uh, and she went to her doctor when she got back, and he was impressed with the quality of the work. They couldn't have done any better here, and it would have cost closer to $50,000 in the United States. So, yeah, that was our yeah. experience in Bali. So, Yeah, she was lucky to have had that specialist there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was very lucky for her. But anyway, they were they took really good care of her. She hated it because they really put her in bed rest. They wouldn't let her get up or move around for about a week, and it was driving her crazy. But uh, she got over it. It's all behind her now. But, good. Yeah. So you went to Bali. How long did you spend in Bali then? 
Well, actually, we went to the next island over from Bali is called Lombok, L-O-M-B-O-K. Mm-hmm. And we had heard that, that the, the rally actually was going to stop there uh, because the anchorages were less crowded and it, uh, you know, supposedly um, better facilities for boats. However, we had heard that the anchorage that the rally was going to was not that well protected. It had some surge there and uh, sometimes had issues with anchors, uh, you know, dragging things. So we decided we'd go to, we had heard uh, at the beginning of the rally, there was a new marina in, in the southern part of Lombok called Marina del Rey uh, that was uh, being built up by an Australian guy. And he was encouraging the cruisers to go there. And because of Rich's condition, this was just Caroline on the boat at this point, and Rich was going to join us in Lombok. So we decided we wanted to go to this marina uh, where he could more easily get on and off the boat, and he would join us there. So that's what we did. We went to Marina del Rey, and uh, it's R-A-Y, named after the guy who started the marina. Brand new floating docks. Um, restaurant, great restaurant, pool, uh, just a nice little resort tucked into this, this little, uh, this little bay, which is quite well protected. And, uh, we just stayed there until Rich joined us, had a great time. Yeah. I'm zooming in on it. It looks like a nice little area down there. So it's actually on an Island then, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Lombok is, uh, a larger island, and then this little resort is on a little smaller island with right. just a small waterway between it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Looks like a couple piers. Not very big, just a few piers poking out. Is that right? That's right. Okay. A long pier and then a couple finger piers poking out from the long pier. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So Richard gets back on board. Is he fully... Feeling okay? Yeah. Can he move around okay yeah. at this point in time? Yeah. Yeah, he's fine. Uh, you know, except for a, a little problem with finger picking on guitar, he's back 100%. So okay. uh, that, we were all thankful of that and and decided that yeah, we could move on and do the rest of the trip. We were wondering whether this was going to end our, our uh, you know, our sailing, but it turns out he had recovered enough that we wanted to, to move on, although... Uh, what we did was we wanted to see Bali, so we, uh, I think we first we flew over to Bali, and a uh, short little flight there, and stayed at. We took a tour of the island, stayed at a nice hotel there, and a place called Ubud, U B U D. Okay. Uh, sort of in the northern part of Bali. Okay. And that was very pleasant, very nice up there. Up by the uh, up. A um, little north of the volcano. The north of the volcano is up in that part of the island, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. That's right. And it's kind of lush and jungly. And uh, the town of Ubud itself is kind of touristy, but uh, the surrounding areas is uh, very interesting. We, we had heard that there's a type of music in Bali called gamelan, and they, they play these series of gongs, metal gongs, uh, in, in groups, and, and it's a certain rhythm and pattern to it. Well, it turns out right near Obud is the place where they make these metal gongs for these gamelan instruments. So we took a tour. We went and uh, and went to a couple of the factories there and saw them actually, it, it, a lot of it's just by hand. They melt the bronze and pound it out and, and make these gongs and tune them all up by hand. It was, it was fascinating to watch these guys make these big metal gongs. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I just uh, typed it in. I, uh, there's a YouTube video I'll watch after we get off the off the uh, internet, off the Skype with you. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so we got to start winding it up. But I know you're. Uh, oh gosh, we've got another 52 minutes already. So, so <laughs> I know you. Uh, so let's zip out to where. You, so from Indonesia, you go up through Singapore, correct? Give me a quick yeah, rundown actually, of where you go from Bali then. Yeah, so from Bali, uh, Carol and I decided we wanted to go back to California, and Rich uh, <clears throat> found a uh, professional kind of crew to help him. So uh, he sailed from Bali all the way up through this, up to Singapore. I don't think 
he really stopped in Singapore. He went, uh, checked out at Nongsa Point, uh, which is just across the channel from Singapore, checked out of Indonesia there. Mm-hmm. And then with the crew, sailed all the way up through the Malacca Straits, the infamous Malacca Straits, all up right up to uh, Langkawi Island. It's a Malaysian island called Langkawi. And this is a big cruiser hangout. The, the very nice um, uh, marina there, and all the they have a boatyard and all the chandleries and things. So that's that's where Rich ended, and we flew and met him there and stayed there for a while. Is that in the Adaman Islands, or is that farther to the east then? No, it's actually right near Phuket, Thailand. Oh, okay, um, okay. So it's farther to the east then, okay. So it's staying yeah. close to the Malaysian shore then. That's right. And uh, w- from there, we did, wanted to sail to Sri Lanka to continue our, you know, our journey. So we did that. We left Langkawi and sailed to uh, Trincomalee, Sri Lanka, which is in the the western, I mean, the eastern side of Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. sort of northeastern. Um, nice little protected harbor, kind of a commercial harbor, uh, but very protected. And uh, there's, you know, hotels ashore and uh, restaurants and things. So we felt good there. And, and we got it. We uh, signed up for a tour, hired a van driver to give us a, a tour of the interior of Sri Lanka. Uh, very interesting. A lot of tea plantations and everything. And, and then, you know what hit? COVID. Yeah, I just got this done reading mid- his yep. blog, and uh, yeah, so COVID hit, and you guys decided to get the heck out of Dodge then, right? Yep, we uh, <laughs> we had, had had word from our that our grandkids, our, our my son and his wife, uh, <clears throat> needed to work, and they're tra- trouble getting childcare. Their caretaker, you know, bailed on them, so uh, we were needed to come back and help take care of the grandkids and. Turns out we got one of the last flights out of Colombo. After you know, a day or two later, they shut down the airport. And so he's been there ever since. And I read in his blog just uh, yesterday that uh, he got a rat on the boat. Yeah. And he's trying to figure yeah. out uh, what damage it did. He found lots of damage that it chewed through some electrical wires. And it'll be interesting to talk to him at some point in time about uh, how he how he's dealt with that, but he describes it in his blog fairly well. So I encourage our listeners to go read that blog, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So, Okay. uh, And so now he wants to get back to to, uh, – to he he doesn't want to stay there much longer, right? Oh, yeah. He's been there for a couple of months now. He's tired of Trincomalee already. Yeah, he wants to move on. He wants to sail – Back to he wants to go back to Langkawi, which is a great place to hang out. Uh, there's other cruisers there; you can play music and everything. So that's the plan. How how long of a sail is it from Langkawi to to uh, Sri Lanka and back and forth? It's about eight days each way. Okay, okay. Is the prevailing wind from the north or the south, east, west? What is the prevailing winds? And I guess it depends uh, it on the sh- season. Yeah. Yeah, it shifts. Uh, it's it's east to west uh, during, um, uh, like, what would be our winter, February, March, April. And then it shifts uh, the other way, going west to east until around November or so. All right. So he could be headed back any time. I guess the problem is clearing out, though. Is that correct? The problem is with COVID. We don't know you can get out, but you can can you get check in and... That's the problem. Yep, right that's now. that's the problem, and it's still a big question mark. We don't know, you know, how that's going to evolve. So we're just kind of waiting. Yeah, I've I've scheduled a trip to go sailing in the Mediterranean this year, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do it. It's unknown at this point in time. So, anything we should touch base on uh, before we call it an interview? Before we finish up. Um. No, I think, uh, you know, we've pretty much covered our adventures so far and uh, just now just trying to stay healthy and and hopefully things will open up. We get a vaccine and we can continue our journey. Yep. Thank you, Phil. It's been a joy talking to you. 
Let's keep in touch. When you have something more to report, let's get back together. I know you do plan on getting up to the uh, Mediterranean at some point in time, but who knows when that's going to be at this point. Yeah, thank you, Franz. I've enjoyed talking with you, and I really enjoy your podcast. Keep up the good work, and let's meet up sometime in the Med. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Franz. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f***. What the f*** gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. <laughs> 